Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll see how the new covenant gives us access to God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and wants us to draw near to Him. And now, here is part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Power of the New Covenant. They didn't have any children, he died. Then she married the other brother, he died without children. Then she married the fourth brother, <laughs> believe it or not, he died, and they didn't have any children. This was a big family, there was a fifth brother, he died not having any children. I remember my dad used to tell this and say, I checked the coffee. Anyway, she married the uh, fifth brother, He died, no children. Something was going on in this family. Sixth brother, he died, no children. Seventh brother, he died, no children. And then they said, okay, now, here's a dilemma. If if there is a resurrection from the dead, which brother does she belong to? And Jesus said, you do greatly err, old King James, or you're making a big mistake, Cheryl translation. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's got to be the combo. We need to know the scriptures. But prayer, prayer empowers the scriptures in our life. You see, they're meant to draw us into the throne room of grace, to give us this personal relationship. We draw near to God. And how do we draw near? We draw near with full assurance of faith. Assurance. Again, confidence, security, knowing that all our bases are covered. You were not like the high priest who just sacrificed and said, no, I didn't think a bad thought, did I, between the the bronze altar and the Holy of Holies, because if I did, I'm dead. We've got all our bases covered. We've got everything we need. We've been purified from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with a pure water. Remember, the high priest had to bathe twice and put on these holy garments before he could enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year on Yom Kippur. But he tells us we can go into this throne room. We can draw close to God with full assurance of faith because our hearts have been purified from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Everything we need has been covered and we can get close to God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you go into that throne room, God draws near to you. He opens the doors wide 
We can get close to God and have a relationship with him. He is our Abba, Father. We can cuddle up in his arms. Whenever I was afraid as a little girl, what I wanted more than anything else was to hold my dad's hand. His hand was so big and so strong. And I remember even as a little girl, when I didn't want to hold his hand, I couldn't wriggle out of it. And boy, did I try. I was hyperactive. You know, I had all these movements. And boy, he'd get a grip. He was hyperactive too, so he knew. He knew me. In fact, he said one time, you're hyperactive, just like me. And then my Aunt Virginia, she's talking to my mom, and she's like, I was hyperactive? Chuck was hyperactive? And Cheryl's hyperactive? Like, this is our team, you know, and then there's Kay's team. What about your team, you know? <laughs> your team relaxed. We're team hyper. But I couldn't wriggle out of his grip. And boy, did I try. But he had a grip on me. And his hand was so strong. I remember one time he picked me up by my little wriggly hand. And I'm like dangling. Like, you know to be kept from danger, to be, I think it was a car that was coming and I didn't see it and I'm trying to pull him. We have a heavenly father, an Abba father, and we can draw near to God because he loves us, because he wants us and he wants to be our father. Then the author says in verse 23, we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. We don't let go. We don't let go of the word of God. And that's where our confidence is. Our confidence is if Jesus said it, it's true. My dad used to say, never give up what you've learned in the light for what you can't see in the darkness. Never give up what you know. Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, something kind of like my dad. He said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are certain things that we don't understand, but you don't let go of the things you know. You don't exchange the things you know for the things you don't know. That's just not wise, is it? You hold on, you get a grip, you hold fast. We keep holding on to the gospel no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the threats, no matter what the hardship, no matter what the doubts, the questions, or the perplexities. We keep holding on to our confession of our hope. That Jesus is the way. That Jesus has died for our sins and risen again. On this earth, we are not going to know everything. We're not going to be able to explain everything. But we know enough to know the truth and to get into the throne room. And we hold on to those things we know to be true. This reminds me of Eleazar. Eleazar was one of David's mighty men. In 1 Chronicles 11, verses 12 through 13, we learned that the Philistines were attacking Israel. 
And Eliezer stood in a field of barley and he refused to give way to the Philistines. He just stood there with his sword in his hand. And because he stood there holding fast to his sword, the Philistines were repelled. They had to leave and they couldn't take that field away from Israel. One man standing in a field with his sword was able to repel the enemy. In 2 Samuel 23.10, talking about that same event, we're told that he was so weary and so tired when the battle was over that they had to pry the sword out of his hand, that his hand stuck fast to the sword. That's what it is to hold fast, that nobody can get the word of God out of your hand. They can't pry it away from you. You could say, I don't know about this, but I know this. I think I've told you this story before, but when I was in high school, there was a girl who was really into the new age movement. Even back then, she had a mantra and she'd bring in crystals to school. And she was in my best friend's Spanish class. And they were sitting there and she she was very, very brilliant, very intellectual. And she would say to my best friend all the time, what about this? What about people? And she had every atheistic argument in the world. Now, my friend was also brilliant, but she would turn to this girl and say, I don't know about this, but this I know. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Jesus Christ would not perish, but have everlasting life. And she decided that's all she was going to say. Every time, you know, this other girl came to her, she just kept saying this. Well, the other girl, she went home to do her transcendental meditation. She crossed her legs. She did this and she tried to empty her mind. But going through the caverns of her mind were the words, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. She couldn't clear her mind. It kept coming. And every time she dimmed her mind, God so loved the world that she said, God, if you're real, and if you actually love the world so much that you really did send Jesus, then I want in. And she said, right then, she felt a cleansing flood flow over her. And she came to school the next day and said to my friend, you're right. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. She ended up going to Christian college. She ended up becoming, she's a Christian writer now. And she's an apologist for the faith. We don't know everything and we can't answer every question. But we know this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can hold fast to that. When we don't understand the circumstances, when we don't understand the persecution, the threats, the hardships, we, we don't know the future. We don't have all the answers. We never will have all the answers till we get to heaven. But we can hold fast to this confidence. God so loved. God gave Jesus. 
we can hold on to that. Then another activity is we consider one another to stir up to love and good works, verse 24. Part of our activity in this in this new covenant is we think about other believers. We give attention to, we seek to understand, we consider how we can motivate, inspire, stir them up, provoke them. One of the great things about being on these committees for the retreats is on those retreat committees, the women there on the committees are praying about how they can bless and inspire the women of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and those who come to the retreat. They're looking and they're shopping for gifts that will bless, that will um, inspire. They're thinking about activities. They're asking for a theme that will bless and inspire. I love working with women whose lives are wrapped up in considering one another to stir up to love and good works. This is to be the activity of those in the church, to, to think about others. How can, I, how can I love others? How can I extend, how can I mo- motivate others to love? How can I motivate others to get involved, to do, to do these good works? And we do this good works, not so that we can be accepted with God, but because we are accepted with God, because he is flowing through us and we just want to respond. So we think about these things. We spend time. We spend time and we get ideas. Oh my goodness, I can make them my grandmother's famous banana bread. That's, that's one way that I strip to love and good works. I, I make people food, mainly Brian. But we ask God. Good works flow from our covenant relationship rather than qualifying us for a covenant relationship. And then another activity, according to verse 25, is we assemble with other believers. You see, the Hebrew believers, they were were not assembling as much. They were starting to kind of draw back. It wasn't as convenient It was getting uncomfortable because of the persecution and because of the association. A little bit later, he's going to say, remember the beginning of your faith? You weren't afraid to associate with others. You gladly associated with those who were persecuted. But now they were beginning to back off. If I hang out with that person, I I might get some of their persecution. So they weren't assembling together. Oh my goodness, if there's one thing Satan wants to do, He wants to keep you from assembling together, from being part of community. We're told in Ephesians that assembling together equips all of us for ministry, but it also keeps us from false doctrine. It secures us. It solidifies us. We are not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day approaching, we need to exhort one another. Are you going to church? You need to go to church. Come to church with me. Encourage. Sometimes these people aren't going to church because they just don't have anyone to go with or sit with. Encourage them. Come sit with me. 
come, let's go together. And then afterwards, let's do brunch. That would be Sunday morning. Afterward, let's do lunch. That would be after second service and Brian went long. You can encourage others to go with you. Friday morning, I'll, do, I'll help you with your homework. Let's go. In the Psalms, it says, come, let us go to the house of the Lord together. We are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Church is not optional. It's essential. It is the earthly extension of the body of Christ. And you cannot consider someone else to love and good works unless you're seeing them, unless you're encountering them, unless you know what they're going through. Church is where we come to minister to others and to be built up ourselves in the most holy faith. I've got a quote from you. It's going to sound familiar, but I'm going to put a twist on it. Don't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. I see church hopping because people are going, which church is most advantageous to me? What church is going to, you know, have the best Sunday school program? Well, why don't you join the Sunday school program and make the church that God has brought you to the whopping best church ever? You see, you need to invest in your church. (laughs) It's time to invest, to seek again to consider one another to love and good works. But in this day and age, it's all about what's best for me. What is of the most comfort? What am I getting out of this? We need to commit to community and make the community your family. You need to say to somebody on a Sunday morning, how can I pray for you? I've told you this before, but um, I remember coming back to church when I had moved back from England, and I sat on the second row, and I sat next to a woman named Beryl. Beryl. She said, it's like Merle, but with a B. She was so amazing. She always had a hat every Sunday. She's gorgeous. And her hat always matched her husband's tie. And I sat next to her, and she wrote my name down. She didn't know me from anyone. And she said, how can I pray for you this week? And she wrote down these things. She said, I want three things, three ways I can pray for you this week. She was the friendliest, sweetest woman I, I, I had met in a long time. And I started going to second service just so I could sit next to her every Sunday. And I just, I wanted to sit next to her. And one Sunday, you know, she knew my name was Cheryl. And one day they announced that Cheryl would be sharing it, Joyful Life. She turned and she said, because my dad looked at me and she said, have you been holding out on me? (laughs) And I said, maybe. And she said, is that your papa up there? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, well, Cheryl, I'm going to pray twice as hard for you. (laughs) One Sunday she went home after service and this woman was fully involved in this church and she took a nap and she went right into the presence of Jesus. It was a loss for the church. Such a gain for heaven. 
But don't you want to be the next Burl? Sounds like Merle with B. Don't you want to be that? I remember at her funeral, my dad did her funeral. And when it came time, it was packed here. When it came time to share people whose lives Burl had touched, the line went all the way out that back door. That's when we used to have an aisle here, and I'm praying the aisle's back. But there was an aisle all the way out that back door. And my dad said, I thought you were going to share something. I said, I was, but the line was too long. And he said, wasn't it? That was the longest line I've ever seen at a funeral. She came to this church every Sunday to consider how she could stir up love and good works how she could pray, how she could minister. And she was here every single Sunday. It is extremely important to assemble regularly in light of the days and times we live in. Why? Because we get influenced by the world without realizing it. We take on their ways without realizing it. And church is where our perspective is fixed. In Psalm 73, Asaph said, you know, I started thinking there's no advantage in living a godly life until he said, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. The world, as um, a poet put it, is too much with us. Buying and spending, we lay our powers waste. We need church to get the right perspective. And church is also where we can use our spiritual gifts. We can use the gift of prophecy. We can use the gift of encouragement. We can use the gift of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. You won't know what gifts you have until you come to church and begin to exercise and use your spiritual gifts. Next, the authority of the new covenant, verses 26 through 31. Peter said in Acts 4.12 that there is no other salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What the writer is saying in verses 26.31 is that there is no other covenant that can save. This is the only covenant. And those outside the covenant who sin willfully after hearing the knowledge of the truth, there's no other sacrifice for sin. There's nothing else that will work. There's nothing else that will atone or forgive or cleanse from sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no other expectation. Those in the new covenant have expectations of all the grace they need and a reward at the end of our lives and even in these lives that God answers prayer. But the only expectation of those outside the covenant of God, verse 27, is the surety of judgment for their sins, is fiery indignation that will devour the adversary. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus tells us that hell was not made for people, but it was made for Satan and his angels. But those who choose to rebel, who choose to be in Satan's army, who choose to be the rebels against God, they end up with the same fate as the devil and his minions. 
In verse 27, I'm sorry, we're told also that there's a worse punishment than even those received under Moses' covenant. In Deuteronomy 27.30, Moses lined up blessings and cursings. Blessings if you obeyed the covenant of God, but there were also curses. And the curses included eviction from the land, exclusion from God's blessings, the ex extensive sufferings, and exile to other nations. The author of Hebrews encourages us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What an encouragement this is as we face perplexing and uncertain times. We don't know exactly what the future holds, but we know this. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We can hold fast to that. We will never have all the answers until we get to heaven, but we can hold fast to this confidence. God so loved. God gave Jesus. We can hold on to that. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the new covenant as we continue our series, Our Great Faith in the Book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.